0: Direct from Cape Gunworks in Hyannis, you're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host,
1: Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rapid Fire. This is episode 151, for those of you playing along at home and keeping track. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and USCCA, so make sure you check out all of their great products as well as support their content online. You can find our content wherever you consume your social media. We are at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio uh, is our handle. And we invite you to join us each and every week for this show that we so love doing and enjoy all of you joining us in doing it. So uh, make sure you check that out. You can also go over to rapidfireradio.us and sign up whenever we go live. You'll be alerted. Um, I apologize in advance. Some people said that they had trouble uh, finding the, um, the link today. And so I apologize in advance to that. I'm not sure what caused that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll look into that. (laughs) You never know what's happening. The gremlins are always out and trying to keep this content down and, and out of the eyes of the public. So that's the way it goes sometimes. And, uh, what we do here is we talk about, guns, Second Amendment, self-defense, and uh, anything else in the news that interests me, uh, or you for that matter, because we follow along in the chat, and we talk, take your questions, and uh, we will definitely be doing that in the first hour today. I have a great guest lined up for you in the second hour. Um, we have uh, Doug Ritter from uh, Knife Rights, who just filed an amicus brief in the mass Supreme Court switchblade case. So this is really exciting news and we're gonna be talking to him in the second hour. So um, you wanna make sure you stick around for that. This first hour, I'm gonna attempt uh, to tackle some of the major issues throughout the country in second amendment news world because, and I say attempt because my gosh, week to week now There is just an absolute flurry of activity that is happening. Um, We still have the Massachusetts H4139 legislation that is pending here in Massachusetts. We also have a massive movement in certain cases throughout the rest of the country, in New York, in Texas, in California. So there's all kinds of uh, stuff going on from day to day, time to time, you know, minute to minute, it seems. So um, that's exciting because that means we're winning. And uh if you're a follower of this show, you know that I'm a big fan of Mark Smith at Four Boxes Diner, and he did a lot of work last week with the um uh, Rahimi case that is at the Supreme Court level. He was posting a lot of the audio and how the government has been making some fatal errors in their Um, arguments in that case as well so we have all that to cover plus your questions so make sure you jump in the chat and if you want to be on the phone with me you can certainly do that too it's 508-444-2120 is the number here that's 508-444-2120 is the phone number to reach us um and we'll we'll be sure to get you on the phone so um yeah there's all kinds of goodies going on not to mention um here in massachusetts we have um the i'm sorry i'm just making sure my phone is actually on it looks like it is and it is connected so uh, that's a good news um, if i get a phone call hey, look at that phones are lighting up already so let's go to the phones right off the rip here so uh let's see make sure i do this right and are you there hold on hold on let me there we go go ahead you're first up on rapid fire
2: yeah i got a
3: general question about gun law sure in massachusetts um i uh have a fishing boat and i go fishing i just mm-hmm. wondering what the rules are as far as shooting a gun at when you're in the ocean like is a certain
1: yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I honestly don't think there's any laws against it. Um, it's not something I have a tremendous wealth of knowledge on to be perfectly honest, but I know lots of people that bring guns out on their fishing boats. Um, I know some guys that use them to shoot big sharks and stuff when they get them on the line, like a Mako or whatever. When they get them boatside, they'll shoot them. Uh, I know they do that in Alaska. I, shot a, uh, I, shot, I, I caught a halibut and when they brought it boatside, side. The captain shot it with a 410-gauge shotgun to stop it from taking line and going down. I also know a lot of people who shoot off their boats, but I'm not sure if there's a certain amount of mileage offshore that you have to be in order to do that. Obviously, the, the rules of safe gun handling would apply, and you want to make sure you're shooting in a safe direction. And also remember that bullets can skip off water, so you want to make sure that there's no one uh, behind the target you're shooting at so but i don't believe there's any law that would prohibit you from having a gun with you out at sea that to my knowledge um and i know lots of people who do yeah. it yeah yeah i know
3: it's like uh i even asked the environmental police that were at the land they the dock and they didn't have no idea i'm like you know so before i carry a gun out there you know because you know i don't know what the How stringent they are you know law enforcement fishing game you know they come after you every chance they get so
1: yeah the one thing i would be careful of is you know if you are actually hunting like duck hunting like sea duck or something like that you might have run up against some of the mass regulations of you know pistols where birds and mammals may be found uh during hunting season so you know they might be able to jam you up for something like that but as far as just have, generally speaking, having a gun with you on the boat, there's nothing in the law that would prohibit you from that. I've certainly done it myself many times. Um, so, yeah. Yeah,
3: you just never know, you know, when you might meet, you know, I'm a 14 foot boat, so if I get yeah. attacked by some shots at 15 feet, you know, I might <laughs> want to try to defend myself. Well, also, it's, it's also very <laughs>
1: difficult to call 911. I I used to have a, a customer that would do a lot of big game fishing out in the Gulf of Mexico. and. He said, "There's no 911 when you're, you know, five six miles offshore," and uh, he's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, and he'd been approached by pirates and and probably drug drug cartels out in the middle of the, uh, you know, he'd warn them once, and if they kept coming, he'd start firing shots over their boat, and they'd turn around pretty quick once the lead starts flying. But um, yeah, I'm. You never know uh so yeah stay armed stay dangerous and uh (laughs) stay legal too that's always uh key but i I I know that's why i'm calling yeah all right right, thank you no problem anytime thanks for the call all right uh yeah that's a cool question you don't get that question often um, but you know i i think the law applies whether you're onshore or offshore um it doesn't it doesn't I don't believe matter in any way, shape or form, as long as you're following all the other laws, so. Yeah, ASD points out that some cruise ships used to offer um, clay target shooting, but they bet they don't now. Yeah, I know some people who um, who have been on cruise ships where they offer that right off the back of the boat. Uh, that That's kind of cool and pretty fun. I'm sure there's still some that do and, uh, Duncan says when he commercial fished, there was always something in the boat. Yeah. You know, that that's a great point. And uh, this customer of mine, he's no longer alive, who was a sport fishing fanatic. He would do big game fishing in the Gulf of Mexico and they'd be out for a week at a time. And he said, yeah, the, the international law on the water is a whole different ball game. Uh, you just, you you couldn't call nine one. If you think it's a long police response time is long now on, on land, like nine to 12 minutes, try being five, six miles out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, you are definitely your own first responder there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, speaking of fishing though, um, I started to read a little bit on that. Um, there's a, there's a case that uh, we talked about with Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner, um, and it's it's an interesting case because it is certainly going to challenge the um, the Chevron deference, deference um, which is the the deference that the EPA or the ATF or the fill in the blank three letter agency gets. Whenever they're enforcing ambiguous laws that are written by Congress. And it's given them wide latitude to enforce um, regulations or laws that have been passed by Congress. And uh, they try, try to interpret the original intent of what the law was when it passed. But what happens is they also go in uh, manifold different directions. Like you'll see, Trump made this famous, um, obviously, with. Uh, the whole bump stock case um when he banned bump stocks and then the biden administration has made it their work to do it with the frame and receiver rule as well as the uh, the pistol brace ban um, so basically they do this public commentary uh session that they keep public comment o- period open for a while and they get a bunch of comments and then They compile them, the yays and the nays, the fours and the against, the pros and the cons, if you will, and then they um, they compile them and then they make a decision on which way they're gonna go. And so they've got deference on this for decades, and uh, you know this is the means based testing or the um, you know some sort of ambiguous. law or rule on the books that isn't explicit as the gun laws are written. And they would, uh, if it is a gun law that it pertains to. And it it has now reached a pretty epic proportion because what happens when these three-letter agencies change their mind or change the rules along the way is they, it has serious felonious implications um, if you think about running afoul of the pistol brace rule, uh, they were basically saying that you would become uh, an illegal possessor of an, a short-barreled rifle, and that has massive, massive implications. I've spoke about the case down in Florida. This guy Mejia, who had a easy Scorpion pistol that he put a stock on, and some confidential informant, an illegal alien, who was trying to not be deported who was put up to the task of uh, ratting him out basically Um, and he went to his home and saw shot this gun on his own firing range at his house and he had other NFA items he just got sick of paying the $200 tax uh, for for the items so he he basically um, said you know I'm not paying another I've already paid the $200 tax twice I'm not gonna pay it again And so this guy brought in the FBI, the counterterrorism task force, and um, they arrested him for illegal possession of a NFA item. He had a concealed weapons permit, had never run afoul of the law, used to work for the um, police department as a dispatcher. And he's serving a 21 month sentence for attaching a stock, a completely victimless crime in his own home, at his own house. He never took it off his own property and serving 21 month sentence in federal pen. This isn't like down at the local county jail for a a weekend to sober up. This is hard time in a hard, um, you know, in a serious facility. And that's what the government was doing with the pistol brace rule. They were gonna um, basically charge you with illegal possession of an SBR if you had not paid $200 Two hundred dollar tax if you didn't take them up on their forbearance program, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot that that can take place. So there's a case um, down in the District of Columbia that is the um, trying to remember the name of the case now. I can't. I can't quite remember it. But uh, it's 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 a case challenging the um, Department of Fishes and Wildlife uh, the, it'll come to me in a minute, but, um, uh, it's Loper Bright, that's what it is, Loper Bright, and this is going before the Supreme Court, and it is a, um, fishing case where they were going out and fishing for herring, and they had to take, by government mandate, by, again, the, uh, the, uh, I believe it was the Department of Fish and Wildlife or something like that, they would want to make make sure that each boat did not exceed their limit of herring, or or they fished them a certain way. I don't know the nuance of the case, but whatever the case is, they had to take a official observer on board, which means they could have one less fisherman because they had, you know, they're limited to how many people they can take on board. So. Uh, by having to take a government official now, they could take one less fisherman. Plus, they had to pay their salary. Plus, they had to feed them, et cetera, et cetera, when they were on, on the boat. And um, the bottom line is um, the uh, D.C. court split on its decision applying Chevron deference. And this has made its way up to the Supreme Court. So this is really good news for those of us who are, um, you know, have been at the mercy of chevron deference in as it's been applied to second amendment law for decades, really, when you think about uh, things like the bump stock ban, the pistol brace and receiver ban, the uh, frame and receiver ban uh, frames and receivers, and all of the surrounding nuance around those things um, has really, uh, you know, hamstrung the right to keep and bear arms movement so we're going to keep an eye on this um it's going to be pretty interesting to watch um and uh it could be the end of chevron deference which would be really good for the second amendment community so hopefully
0: it'll it'll
1: happen so anyway don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this you're listening to rapid fire i'm toby leary Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. and welcome back to rapid fire i'm your host toby leary this is your weekly show all things guns freedom second amendment and self-defense and i'm glad you're here with me we'll be taking your questions in a little bit if you want to be a part of the show the number is 508-444-2120 that's 508-444-2120 um i'll actually drop the link of that loper bright um, case in the comments so if you're following along playing at home you can look that up on your own time after rapid fire ends (laughs) so uh no it's interesting but that's just one of the things that could really affect us here in um in second amendment world if you think about it uh there's so many cases right now before um the the courts there's um one that just came up Yesterday, in I believe it was Pennsylvania, um, an FPC case where the judge ruled for the plaintiff in a lawsuit that challenged the lifetime gun ban for nonviolent misdemeanor conviction. Now, I've been accused of ranting too much on this show, and this is one of the things that I rant about quite often. In a place like Massachusetts, where we have the missed felony of uh, first time offense of an OUI because the oui carries a two and a half year potential of jail time it makes you a lifetime prohibited person as far as the second amendment is concerned so i i like to bring this up and in this case down in connecticut i'm sorry pennsylvania challenged this exact same thing if you have a nonviolent felony you are now a prohibited person for life well the good news is a federal judge ruled for the plaintiff fpc um, and uh overturned this uh long history of lifetime ban on the exercise of your second amendment rights there's an article on ammo Land news uh by duncan johnson about this today and uh it says uh here that um following a 2005 trial edward williams was convicted of driving under the influence in a violation of pennsylvania law because he had a previous dui non-conviction in 2001 that was later expunged the 20, 2005 conviction qualified as a first degree misdemeanor which carries a maximum sentence of up to five years imprisonment however he was never imprisoned and was instead placed on house arrest for 90 days order to pay costs and a fine of fifteen hundred dollars Complete a recommended drug and alcohol treatment under the mandatory minimum sentence. And the government points to several regulations permitting the dis, uh, disarmament of drunk and intoxicated persons, wrote Judge Young in his opinion. None of these regulations allude to disarmament lasting beyond the individual's state of intoxication, and none provided for permanent disarmament as Section 922G1 does. So, 922G has been in the news a lot lately. Um, that's the 922 G8 is the Rahimi case that's before the Supreme Court right now. We were just talking about that in the first segment about how that is the case that um, Merrick Garland wanted brought before the Supreme Court because of the odious nature of Rahimi. He was a, you know, apparently a very bad, bad person, and so they're trying to get this uh, one charge of felon in possession, or or actually it's not even a felon type charge, it's a uh, restraining order. So they disarmed them by, they're challenging the constitutionality of being able to disarm someone from a restraining order uh, with just a restraining order against them. So if someone in Arizona has a restraining order against somebody in Maine, um, the person in Maine would lose their right to keep and bear arms in all 50 states. And so they're challenging the constitutionality of that. But the way the that the, that it's written is gonna make it very interesting because the government could still rule for, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Justice Department, the Supreme Court could actually rule in favor of the government. And there would be no loss of rights to the 2A community because of the way that the question has been framed to the su- Supreme Court. And uh, there's also some talk about the uh, the way that the Solicitor General, who's arguing the case for the government, has really run into it uh, or stepped in it, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, so uh, that 922RG1, is there's another case that will probably be before the Supreme Court in November, sometime in November, and that is the range case, the, I believe it's Brian Range. So here's a case that um, was found uh, unconstitutional under that 922 G1, uh, which uh, it says this, this court agrees that using a firearm while intoxicated is dangerous, but historical regulations, which momentarily disarm certain individuals for temporary mental incapacity cannot be considered similar to the sanctions of permanent disarmament for past DUI convictions. We are very pleased with the district court decision, said FPC Law Director uh, Constitutional Studies Joseph Greenlee. Mr. Williams is a peaceable citizen who should never have been disarmed. The court correctly ruled that the Second Amendment rights should be restored. Now, this is where my rant comes in, because I've talked about Massachusetts First offense, OUI conviction, lose your right to keep and bear arms for life. Although 90 days after your OUI conviction, you can get your license to operate a motor vehicle, the very thing you offended, back. So um, the I believe this is long overdue for people. And some people make the argument that OUI is actually a violent offense. And I'm not even sure I would disagree with that. But the fact of the matter remains that the fact that you're willing to give the person back a multi-ton vehicle that can cause as much if not more damage in a shorter amount of time than a firearm could if the person broke bad or you know, fell asleep at the wheel or was reoffending in, as an OUI, then why are you not trusting them with A firearm, which is a constitutionally protected right? And we know the answer. It's a rhetorical question uh, because they want to disarm all of us ultimately, and they're just incrementally doing it. They're just moving the chains down the field with win after win after win after win with all their common sense gun reform and all their common sense gun safety and their common sense assault weapons ban and magazine capacity ban and uh, fill-in-the-blank, right? It's it's just all um, their, their incremental movement towards total disarmament. And I first became a gun owner um, in the early 90s, 1993. And I remember there was a lot of talk, back then it wasn't so much uh, common sense gun control That hadn't been the buzzword, and we've seen this buzzword kind of go from late '70s, where it was Saturday night specials, right? That was the thing they wanted to ban. And Massachusetts actually had a proposal to outright ban handguns altogether. It was a ballot initiative that failed. um, But the bottom line is, um, there's always some new buzzword, new new phrase that the media, the anti-gunners, all take and run with. When I was first a gun owner, it was cop killer bullets. I'm sure you all remember that. Cop killer bullets was all the latest buzzword and craze. And um, we had uh, this one particular flagship round of Winchester called Black Talons, which this uh, immigrant from Jamaica shot up the New York City subway with. His name was Colin Ferguson and he went in and killed a lot of people in a short amount of time with these bullets that were deemed cop killer bullets right and really they're they're not uh prejudiced towards police they're they'll kill anybody if they're if you're shot with them and they're no more uh dangerous than any other hollow point on the market it was a marketing thing to call them black talons, paint the tip black and if you looked inside the hollow point the jacket that folded in on the inside of the hollow point had a had a point to it so when it opened up it had these sharp little talons if you will as it went through uh flash or or ballistic gelatin or whatever once it opened up and uh so this was really a marketing this was really the first attack on a marketing campaign um maybe not the first attack but one of the Big attacks on a marketing campaign. Um, So uh, the bottom line is the the Winchester willfully pulled them from the shelves, stopped and discontinued the Black Talon hollow point. Uh, But that I remember in leading news stories with all the 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 word ah cop killer bullets in the news and et cetera et cetera and. uh, Then we saw the whole evolution of assault weapons in 94 and the assault weapons ban and high capacity magazines. Why does anybody need 30 rounds? Why does anybody need an assault weapon? Um, Nobody needs an assault weapon. And we've seen that continued on into the modern age here, the modern era of gun control. But now the buzzword is gun safety. It used to be gun control. Nope, not using that word anymore. Uh, It's gun safety. Um, Gun safety is the buzzword that all the anti-gun groups and the politicians that want to ban guns, want to take away your right to keep and bear arms. They're just trying to make us safer. And I would say, no, you're not. You're actually trying to make us less safe because, frankly, the, the fact that you've disarmed good people who could actually do something about it means we're less safe uh, or if you're going to make it harder for me to carry a gun in public places because of these gun-free zones that you want to enact you've made it harder for me to protect myself and others and therefore it's not gun safety it is gun confiscation and gun disarmament regimes so anyway we'll talk more about that on the other side i'm toby leary and this is rapid fire don't go away we will be right back federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market Federal Punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need Punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunmark. all right welcome back i'm toby leary your host of rapid fire your weekly show all things guns freedom second amendment and self-defense and i'm glad you're here make sure you hit the like and subscribe button while you're here and comment and share uh, so that we can defeat the evil algorithms that try to keep this content out of your out of the public space and away from your Uh, Your eyes and ears. So anyway, we have a lot of work to do on that. All right. Getting back to some of the cases. um, So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on the uh, Vanderstock v. Garland case. We mentioned this briefly last week, overturning the ATF's frame and receiver rule, uh, which was marking another massive victory for uh, the Second Amendment and 80% arms, as well as the other ones that are part of the case. Um, Judge Oldham wrote in his opinion supplementing the majority findings in order to explore additional problems with the final rule where he says that the final rule is limitless. The GCA allows none of this. GCA is the Gun Control Act. Uh, Judge uh, Kurt Engelhart, also supporting the majority opinion stated the agency rule at issue here flouts clear statutory text And exceeds the legislatively imposed limits on agency authority in the name of public policy he further clarified that the expansion of firearm regulations and the criminalization of actions that were previously previously legal are not sanctioned by congress rendering the proposed rule an unlawful agency action that goes against legislative intent the court firmly concludes that until congress modifies the gun control act the atf must adhere to the existing statutory limits. Now that is some really, really good news um, because the, uh, the, you know, ATF has been getting away with, uh, Yeah, yeah, there you go. Has been getting away with, um, you know, this type of overreach for some time. And so uh, it goes on to say that the final rule according to the court crosses those boundaries resulting in the ATF essentially rewriting the law, a move that is not permissible, particularly when it leads to the broad imposition of criminal liability without legislative input. Think of how scary that is, um, how terrifying that is that a three-letter agency can now just change a rule that you will have to abide by, and if you don't, you could potentially face years in federal pen. That is incredible. Um, so it's just mind-boggling the uh, the um, the implications of of what they're able to do. Um, so you know, just something to keep in mind as you as you uh, hear a lot of this stuff in the news. And I am really looking forward to that loper Bright case going forward because I think that'll really set the record straight as far as the constitutional limitations of these three-letter agencies. And I remember reading years ago that the Congress had really abdicated their duties by deferring all of the legislative work to these three-letter agencies. So in other words, they They would pass a law, but they wouldn't, they would purposely keep it ambiguous in order to allow the enforcement agencies to essentially write the law. And that wasn't just around gun cases, that was around all cases. And really, ultimately, what that does is it brings it into the hands of the courts at some point. So courts end up becoming, you know, it's like, the legislature has the most powerful position in all three branches of government in my opinion um and yet they took that power and they delegated it to the courts via interpretation of their ambiguous laws and a lot of times though they they don't lack the knowledge of whatever it is that they are ruling or writing a law about and so they would defer to the enforcement agency. To me, that is antithetical to freedom in general. In other words, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, I love reading Don and Stoughton's uh, emails. Um, he, uh, he put it this way. Uh, he heard what I said on the Howie Cheat Bastard deal yesterday. Uh, And he said, after 50 years of researching the right to keep and bear arms, the most cutting phrase to be spoken about gun laws is, in a constitutional republic at the common law, all actions of government shall be so privileged to them. If no privilege is allowed to government, then no action can be taken thereon. The two sentences defeat any response from anyone. The Constitution is an affirmative source of power and not one that allows government to act unless denied all is denied unless allowed. So in other words, if the government isn't explicitly allowed or privileged to write a certain law about something, then they are disallowed. And he's right. Unfortunately, they got along away with away with this for so long because of things like Chevron deference and the, um, the, the delegation of their duties uh, to these three-letter agencies and to the courts, um, which, when you look at how powerful the legislature really is, um, the what gives them the most power, not necessarily, um, you know, I don't think authority is a good thing because they do lack the constitutional authority, as Don and Stoughton points out here, but um, the power is really in the purse the purse strings right they they fund and write law that funds certain groups or certain organizations or certain executive branches of government that will enforce the laws of that they create um they also uh write they have the check writing process they are the the keeper of the checkbook if you will so if they choose not to fund something it doesn't have any power to it but if they choose to fund it and um then that whatever it is that they wrote into law has a has a tremendous power to it so fast forward to the atf we have a three-letter agency that is a is an extension of the executive branch of government uh, that is created to enforce the laws that congress passes but they write these ambiguous laws it's a vicious circle Uh, ATF has great deference on how to interpret those ambiguous laws and frankly change their mind every once in a while, but all that's coming to an end. Uh, So that's kind of the end of that rant, Um, but um, good news is coming out every single day. There are also some setbacks. Um, A federal judge yesterday uh, also ruled that there is no right to keep and bear arms. Um, or no right to acquire a gun, I should say. So, and this is unfortunately in my uh, birthplace of Colorado. The U.S. District Judge John L. Kane, an 86-year-old appointee of Jimmy Carter back in 1977. Can you say retire, buddy? Uh, I was two when the guy took the bench. But anyway, he made an eyebrow-raising decision in a case known as Rocky Mountain Gun Owners versus polis which challenged i colorado's newly enacted three-day we- waiting period on all gun sales kane denied the group's request for an injunction that would have halted enforcement of the waiting period while the litigation continues ruling that the plain text of the second amendment only covers the right to keep and bear a firearm not to purchase or acquire one for lawful purposes um, that is some serious uh bending of Logic, if you ask me. The plaintiffs contended that the words keep and bear in the Second Amendment are implicated by the waiting period acquired by the Act in Heller. The Supreme Court examined the normal meaning of those words at the time of the nation's founding, reviewing definitions from contemporaneous dictionaries. As the court explained, the 1773 edition of Samuel Johnson's Dictionary of the English Language defined keep as most relevantly to retain not to lose and to have in custody. Plaintiffs contend that the words keep and bear in the second amendment are implicated by the waiting period required by the act. In Heller the supreme court examined the normal meaning of those words at the time of the nation's founding reviewing definitions from contemporaneous dictionaries. As the court explained the 1773 edition of Samuel Johnson's Dictionary of the English language, defined keep as most relevantly to retain, not to lose, and to have in custody, the court then turned to bear and determined that it means to carry. The court clarified that that when bear is used with arms, however, the term has a meaning that refers to carrying for a particular purpose, confrontation. So putting all the pieces together The court found that the text of the Second Amendment guarantees the individual right to keep and possess uh, or carry weapons in the case of confrontation. From this reading of the plain text, it's clear that the relevant conduct impacted by the waiting period, the receipt of the paid for firearm without delay is not covered. Still plaintiffs attempt to equate the word obtain and possess, but these terms are not equivalent. To keep under the definitions provided in Heller, meant to retain an object one already possessed. It did not mean to receive a newly paid for item. We have a chicken and an egg problem with that logic. And that is, how do you keep it if you can't get it? And then you have further complications because the government wants to restrict your ability to manufacture it. So they're trying, friends, it's like they're grasping at straws and uh, they are you know, using activist judges to split hairs here over the meaning of a word. It's kind of like the same angle that Elizabeth Warren and Blumenthal are taking right now with ammo. They want to create an ammo registry. They want to make a background check or some sort of permission slip in order to buy ammo. They also want to close the ability to buy ammo for a friend which is all ridiculous um, but ammo is under the protection of arms under the definition of arms uh, an arm without ammo is useless it's a it's a paperweight it's a blunt object it's a striking implement at its best so ammunition and the ma- the magazine is also a protected item because if your gun is magazine fed you can't shoot it without one right so the the problem they're gonna have is our ammunition and magazines in common and ordinary use well i can tell you there's uh nothing more common and ordinary than ammunition in the in the country right uh of any protected arm uh people buy a thousand rounds at a whack or even one box of ammo is 50 so i would say ammo is extremely common um it's not it's way more common than than arms are even uh so but they're still under the protected definition but this is again their attempt to uh conflate your right to keep and bear arms by um you know trying to get cute with the definitions and uh we all know it's not going to work but it is gonna clog up the court systems again. It is gonna cost us money and take time should something like that pass. But all right, rant over your questions next here on Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary, don't go away. We will be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapidfire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. Your weekly show, All Things Guns, Freedom, Second Amendment, and Self-Defense. I'm Toby Leary, your host, and I'm having way too much fun with you guys this afternoon. Uh, So we're off to your questions right now. And the first isn't a question, but it's a good, poignant observation by G-Webs. Saying, 34 are watching, just 11 thumbs up. Is it too hard to help the show out? Click that thumbs up. Thank you, man. Help a brother out here. (laughs) You know there's some uh people that want to keep this content down and uh yeah that might be the case if we're um while we're live streaming that's just one of the many platforms we're streaming on right now i'm on eight different platforms we're on uh two different facebook channels two different youtube channels twitch twitter rumble telegram um and i think that's it but so yeah whatever button you have to smash uh on whatever your what platform you're watching on please do that would be great um all right so let's see uh asd says dui waits a while gets to go right back to driving but no evil target shooting ever that's right that's how it's treated unfortunately and again that's all by design so um mike is pointing out the talon um yeah the talon was uh also one of the reasons that was such a popular cartridge was because it was um it was it did very well on the Straussburg uh testing i don't know if you guys know what i'm talking about but the Straussburg testing was um this testing that they did on sheep where they would sit there with a stopwatch and they would try to shoot it in the same spot every time and then they'd hit the start button on the stopwatch and they'd watch how long it took for the sheep which was roughly the same size and weight and uh again the shot placement was the same and they'd time it how long it would take to keel over and be completely incapacitated and the black talon hollow point did very very well i think it was third on the Straussburg testing uh, the first and second were, I believe, the Mag Safe and the Glazer Safety slugs. Those were, I think, one and two respectively, and then Black Talons were like number three. And I'm—we're talking tenths of seconds, you know. So I think the Black Talon, if I'm remembering correctly, was like a four point three five seconds of incapacitation and like magsafe and glazer were like 3.3 you know so it might have been less than a second difference between the between the two but um the bottom line is uh they would test all of these different manufactured ammunition so that they could um see how it would perform under under actual real world scenarios now there's some flaws to the to the science of the of that, anyway. But uh, the bottom line is, um, it was still pretty good data, I would say, because um, you'd know you, you'd not want to carry something that was off the charts in time to incapacitate a sheep under controlled environmental situations. But I had a Straussburg test of my own, but it wasn't a sheep; it was a uh, ram. With a black talon uh 357 Magnum 180 grain black talon hollow point and did very well, but uh <laughs> uh so uh skilled ass, aren't hollow points still illegal in New Jersey? I believe they are. So um yeah, I think that is still a thing. Uh skilled and unless you're law enforcement, um, which is just ridiculous, but anyway. Um Let's see, they want safety from guns, while we understand safety with guns. Good point, G-Webs. Um, that is exactly right. They they would love to do the, the bewitched twitch of the nose and make all guns disappear across the face of the earth. The only problem with that is if you don't do the twitch of the nose and make all evil people disappear across the face of the earth, you're just making good people less safe by, not having arms to protect themselves against the the wiles of the enemy, if you will, or the evil person who wants to take advantage of people. And that could be even just with their body size and, and athleticism. So who could be against gun safety? It's like, for the children, magic phrases. Exactly, ASD. Uh, good point. We, You know, for a while there, you'd hear, if it would save just one life, isn't it worth it? Well, the problem with that is there's two sides to that argument. One is if you could make all arms disappear across the face of the earth and it would save one life, okay, the problem with with that is we know that's never gonna happen, it's unrealistic. Number two, what about the 500,000 to 3 million people per year who defend themselves with arms? Those people will now all of a sudden be disarmed and be left uh, as potential victims. So, <laughs> what do you want? The one person it might have saved by not having a gun out in society, or the five hundred thousand to three million per year that guns are used for—you uh, know, defending defending themselves without even firing a shot in most cases. Uh, Gaza is running out of food, water, and medical supplies, but not missiles that's a good point. Um, The Hamas 15 year reign in or actually I think it's eight years that they've been in uh, control of the Palestinian areas. Um, They haven't really done much to further on uh, life. They don't grow crops. They don't build scientific uh, centers of study. They don't, um, you know, build housing. In one point, uh, the Israeli government was giving them concrete and they were using it to uh, buffer their defenses, like uh, their bunkers and whatnot, fortify their bunkers instead of building housing with it. But anyway, we talked about that last week. I'd I'd go down that rabbit hole if we had more time. But um, let's see, any updates on the MAG ban, AWB ban in California? I haven't heard anything yet, Bird Runner, on that. um, But We'll we'll see because you know I think that's going to take some serious time. It's it's before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals right now. Um, yeah. They petition for abstinence from only guns. They would suggest that abstinence isn't the answer. It doesn't work as a solution to anything else. Yeah, they don't ever stay consistent with their arguments, they apply illogical solutions to the gun or arms uh situation, but that's about it. Uh, judge Benitez ruled it unconstitutional and the appeals court state his decision. That's true. So the en banc panel is going to hear it. They jumped the shark and wouldn't let it go to that three judge panel um, that originally ruled on it. They treated it as a comeback case for the first time ever in the history of Ninth Circuit. So uh, it's going to take time. They're slow walking that. They're making sure. Um, ATF doesn't needs to validate their existence they don't bust moonshiners no one undercovers stings on teens with cigarettes so who's left gun owners you know they do that to a certain extent i know they have set up like these um sting operations on people who buy cigarettes from indian reservation and then resell them so that they don't have to pay the taxes on them and whatnot um but yeah Good point, G. Webb's five hundred thousand tobacco deaths, ninety five thousand alcohol related deaths in the United States annually, um, but nothing to see here, folks. Um, <laughs> nothing to see here, right? Um, so it's it's one of those things that you know the guns are the are the scary tool that media has whipped up people in, into a frenzy into thinking. If only we would turn up, you know, I love the saying, if only the NRA would just capitulate, and lay down their arms, the world would be a safer place. But nothing is more, uh, could be further from the truth. Um, Peace through superior firepower is a thing. If bad people know that good people are willing to protect themselves with arms, then crime takes a nosedive. It works every time it's tried. it, it just you know it, it, some of the safest communities on earth are some of the most well-armed societies on earth and um, you know we we definitely could learn a thing or two uh, from Ukraine and from uh, Israel and not make the same fateful mistake of disarming our population under the interest and the guise of making us safer or gun safety uh, we would we would actually do just the opposite. And I love what Mark uh, Smith points out from Four Boxes Diner. He, he said that early, um, early in our history, in our nation's history, they actually did that just the opposite. When there was an actual threat of violence against peaceful citizens, they armed up. Uh, there were laws on the books in Massachusetts that made it a punishable offense To get caught walking to church on Sunday morning without your firearm, you could actually suffer a fine for being caught walking to church without a without a firearm. Uh, Because they knew there was there was going to be some, uh, you know, the the potential to be attacked along the way was there. They wanted you to be able to defend yourself should you find yourself in that situation. Um, So that's that's uh, you know important to point out is we've we've come up with some new brand of protection and it doesn't work as good and that is to cut the antlers off the deer or to cut the horns off the antelope to protect them from the lion we all know that doesn't work so um yeah guys that was the end of the first hour thanks so much it's been great talking with you and chatting with you we have a great guest coming up on the other side Doug Ritter from uh, kniferights.org is gonna be joining us and you don't wanna miss out. He has some great news to talk about and share with us about the uh, amicus brief that was filed in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. So don't go away. Uh, Make sure you're put on the positive face of gun ownership in your community. Take someone new to the range and uh, take them shooting so we can expand this the tent of the 2A community we will be right back after this don't go anywhere i'm toby leary hey everybody toby from cape gunworks here and it's time for another rapid fire gun of the week so this week's gun of the week is the benelli 828 over under shotgun this thing is a thing of beauty this is one of my favorite over unders you could use this in the field you could use it for sporting clays you could use it for hanging on the wall because it's so pretty But what's really neat and unique about this gun, and I think Benelli has really knocked it out of the park, is with their checkering. This is not your traditional checkering. They use this like dragon scale pattern on the receiver and the stock and the forend, and it's just comfortable to hold. It's not very sharp, but it gives you enough grip texture, and it looks cool. It is super cool looking. Uh, I think it's one of the neatest looking over-unders, and I think they knocked it out of the park. There's some great... Uh, engraving here on the receiver on the top and on the sides plus it has a carbon fiber rail which is a nice little twist certainly shave some weight from the traditional aluminum uh, rails on top it has a nice fiber optic front sight and it has the ejectors Uh, they they just did a great job the walnut on this is a thing of beauty this is an absolutely gorgeous piece of wood I will extend this deal, the Rapid Fire Gun of the Week deal, to all of the 828s we have in stock. So if you choose to look on our website or come in and you see one you like, I'll give you the the deal. We'll extend it to all of them. This thing also has a recoil uh, system built into it for for an over-under. That's unique because most of the time you're just getting the full brunt of the recoil with a uh, over-under shotgun, but this has some nice little recoil Uh, assistance or reduction built into the gun. So just a phenomenal gun from Benelli. Come check out the 828s we have in stock. And if you want to take advantage of this deal, go to our website, rapidfireradio.us. Scroll down to Gun of the Week, click on it, and use code GOW at checkout for a very special deal. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm Toby Leary. We'll see you on Rapid Fire. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Thanks for joining us each and every week. And I am, I just lost Doug. I apologize. I I was just going to introduce him and I must have kicked him off. Uh, So hopefully he'll join us back on the show. Uh, But this is the uh, show that's all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And join us each and every week at rapidfireradio.us. The show is sponsored by vortex optics and the uscca you can go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a very special savings and um i'll try to get doug back on here doug is from uh here he comes he is from kniferights.org, and i'm really excited to have him coming on so um Let's see. It says there's some issues with his um, device. So let me let me give him a quick shout here on text and try to get him to uh, to rejoin the show. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, technical difficulties. They run rampant here sometimes. The gremlins are strong. Uh, So all right. So Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you today? Oh, hold on. I got to figure out why I can't hear you. Let's try your microphone again. There we go. The gremlins are back. This happened a couple weeks ago, but but, um, yeah, I don't know how to get your mic back on there. Let me just make sure. Hey there. You can hear me. Let me just see if the guys can hear you. Um, Last time this happened, uh, the that they could hear, but I couldn't. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna have you rejoin real quick, Doug, I apologize. Uh, sorry for the, the mess there, but um, let's try one more time. Okay, they could only hear me anyway, so uh, weird, man. I don't understand why that just keeps happening. Um, yeah. I should be getting them. <clears throat> all right. How you doing now, Doug? I got nothing. Son of a gun. Um, all right. Let's do this. Can you call the a phone number if I give it to you? And, uh, it's 508-444-2120 it's 508-444-2120 you might have more than one mic in your list in Streamyard too so uh but either way if you call that number we'll get you right on it'll uh it'll we'll make it easy on it and uh you can just uh, mute it but um here's the audio settings last time this happened with uh with fred um wagon from uh from the uh all right how's that can you hear me now i can hear you can you hear me i got you all right so we'll just do it this way (laughs) it's uh it's not the the most there we go yeah So, as long as you can hear me, we're good. And, uh, Doug, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. And, uh, you know, this is a really important issue, I think. And I think you're doing a great job. I was reading up about you and uh, I went and checked out your website at kniferights.org. But why don't you tell our listeners here at Rapid Fire what it is you do in your day to day and what it is you've been doing? And uh, I know you're a part of this amicus brief that um, got filed in the uh, Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts. So uh, go ahead and tell everybody who you are and sure. what you've been doing.
2: So knife so rights is a Second Amendment organization, um, not unlike the NRA or, or Goal in, in Massachusetts. Um, the, the, the Second Amendment doesn't say anything about firearms. Are you getting an echo?
1: I don't hear an echo, no. but uh, here, try that. Okay, Try that, that might be better.
2: And so the the Second Amendment doesn't say anything about firearms, it says arms. Um, we are the second front in the defense of the Second Amendment. Uh, over the past decade and, and a few years, we've been responsible for 44 bills being Repealing bans in 28 states. Wow! So uh, now we've entered a, a new stage. Not th- not that we haven't been in federal court and court before, but uh, after Bruin, we're in a position to litigate the issue of possessing and carrying arms, blades, you know I, whatever it is uh we we have the the club that we need now with brune to say you can't you can't ban these things and and that's where we are in this case in massachusetts uh where uh the only after after a a, a complicated uh case all that's left is carrying a switchblade and that's what the state trying to say is impossible yeah so
1: this so you've you've done this thing in 28 other states you said you've been a part of that in 28 states? In,
0: in
2: 28 states, we passed legislation that repealed bans on all kinds of knives or carry of knives or, uh, since 2010. You know, pretty good track record. Spent nine and a half years suing the city of New York who were arresting thousands of people for just carrying common pocket knives.
0: Mm.
2: So we've been in court before we understand the challenges. Um this is one of a number of uh cases that we're being involved in. We're suing California to get rid of their ban on switchblade two inches and greater we're suing the federal government to get rid of the federal switchblade act. None of these case none of these bans will stand up to Bruin. Yeah. and that's the
1: key yeah i would agree a hundred percent um it's funny in my store i sell automatic knives and people always ask me and say can i carry this and i say i honestly don't know i i don't i'm not sure it seems like you should be able to under the constitution but i say just you know as a to err on the side of caution unless you want to be a plaintiff just kind of collect them and don't take them out with you uh, out on on the street or whatever but the irony is unbelievable here's you know we issue a license to carry and you can carry a gun loaded on your body out in the public space but you can't carry a knife that has this you know either spring loaded function it just didn't make sense it doesn't reconcile with my brain if
2: you're looking for rationality it any of these knife bans, let alone gun bans, um, you're not going to find it.
1: Yeah. What was the government's argument on banning these? For I mean, some of them have been banned for decades, right?
2: So back in the fifties, th- there was a an effort to ban switchblades, which was the result of actually uh, hack journalists. Uh, who decided this This could be a cause. Uh, so the, the concept of fake news is not new. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood got on board and Broadway got on board and we got, and and they demonized Switchlands. And from that, we had a number of states starting in New York, uh, eventually including Massachusetts, who banned or restricted Switchblade, automatic knives, as we call them these days. Hmm. And, and we've been rolling back those bans uh, since 2010. I mean, 20 states, we've passed repeals of Switchblade-related bans. I know. Most recently, Pennsylvania and Virginia.
1: Nice. It's amazing. Working so our many
2: way states, up the East Coast.
1: At one point, how many states had a ban on these knives?
2: At one point there was a ban or a restriction in 26 states.
1: Wow. So more than half the country, it was illegal to own or possess them or carry them probably.
2: And and now, after all our work, depending on how you count, they're legal to possess in 42 to 44 states and you can carry them in 32 to 36 states hmm. without This that's a pretty incredible record and and what makes what we do sort of unique is we're the only second man organization that gets support from the left hmm. it's not guns it is Often, their people being arrested or hassled for carrying a knife. So, the vast majority of our bills has passed with bipartisan support.
1: Wow. Uh,
2: something you will almost never hear on the firearm side of the Second Amendment issue.
1: Right. Now, you had, um, you guys filed an amicus brief um, in the case of Commonwealth verse canjura i believe is how you say it correct um and that is in the boston municipal court um so why don't you break down basically what the argument is from your position on why uh carrying a knife or a switchblade or a automatic whatever you want to call it would be considered um unconstitutional or their their restriction of said ban or carry of those knives would be unconstitutional
2: well so it's it's pretty straightforward after brune if you want to ban a arm you have to have some historical basis back in the founding era when they you know passed the bill of rights and the reality is there were never any bans on knives. In fact, you were required as a member of the militia in another state to carry a knife. Um, and and we don't see any bands on switchblades or automatic knives until the late twentieth century,
0: mm.
2: which is, you know, two hundred years removed from from when when the bill of rights was passed or almost 200 so so it really comes down to there is no historical basis for banning these knives
1: yeah and i you, mean that should be the case that's it right no i have uh, you preaching to the choir here brother <laughs> um but the the truth of the matter is like there's there's a one test that the government could apply and that is that the guns are um, uncommon and dangerous it has to be that two-pronged approach right like they have to prove that they're not in common in ordinary use and that they are unusually dangerous i don't think the knife fits either of those categories right
2: so so interestingly the government actually helps us make the argument that these are common. When they held the hearings for the Federal Switchblade Act, uh, there's a Senate report that noted that there were 1.2 million Switchblades being sold annually. Wow. I mean, every year. In fact, the Federal Fair Act was all about uh, the fact that they were too common. <laughs> so, so arguing that they're not common is it, the, the the government proves their case. Hmm. And and in fact, it's Massachusetts, it's the Massachusetts Supreme Court that helped set the bar with back in the sun gun case, Katano versus mm-hmm. Massachusetts, where Justice Hito you know, said, there's at least 200,000 units. nationally. well, we're way beyond that. Right. I mean, there's just no question these are common. Right. And they're certainly not more dangerous than a firearm or, or any other knife, let alone a, a fixed blade knife.
0: Right. So, it, it, it if The Massachusetts
2: court, read the law and apply the law, we should win. But yeah, it's never that easy.
1: Right. Yeah. They, um, obviously they don't like Supreme court rulings because our laws are often in defiance of at least five that I can count. Uh, Keitano, Murdoch v. Pennsylvania, Heller, McDonald and Bruin. And so this is just one of those chinks in the armor, or one of those uh, bricks in the wall, if you will, of how unconstitutional the laws are in Massachusetts. Um, one of the things I found quite interesting was the history of the switchblade in your amicus brief, or the brief that I know was written by lawyers, and uh, Jason Guida, who's a friend of our show, and a local attorney yep. is, is a part of this. He's the one who filed the bill as the Massachusetts counsel. Um, but I mean, filed the the brief, but, um, th- the cool thing about it was, as I was reading it, the history of the switchblade actually goes back to the 17th century. If I'm, if I remember correctly, I read it last night, but this, this, this is not a new device, right? It's not a new idea. Yeah.
2: Um, and, and, and years before they were banned, uh, George trade, Frey- Figured out a way to actually produce them in significant quantities, and and you know they were sold as a, a great tool for seamstresses who needed to be able to open a knife one-handed, mm. for hunters, for you know for all the reasons that we understand that it's one-hand opening knives are our, the largest. Category of selling knives sold in the US today like 80%,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't own a knife if I couldn't open it with one hand, like if it's going to be on my body and I'm carrying it for a tool. Because half the time, you're you got something in your other hand that you're attempting to open or cut through or whatever, never not to mention the self defense benefits of it. Um, and you know. There's a couple of knives that come along that are pretty cool that you still have to open the old fashioned way, like an old buck knife type of thing. And mm-hmm. and people buy it because it's a cool knife, but frankly, it's probably not the knife they're carrying on their body. They want like a you know, a thumb stud or a hole or something to open the knife with one hand. But frankly Or a button to open it automatically. Right. Yeah. That's what I was just gonna you know, say if, is how silly is it that if, if you we can look at a auto.
2: Or you look at a one-handed open, they open at the same speed.
1: Right. In some cases, I would argue that the... the... But this is legal, and this one isn't. Right. I mean, it's stupid. It is. It is completely ridiculous. Um, But, the you know, uh, there's some that have an assist. (laughs) They're not like a button, so you still have to like push on a stud or a hole. On the knife but it has right. some sort of assist those i think are much faster than a button operated opening or an out the front opening um which are you know the ones that people love to ban
2: you need a very very accurate top stopwatch to figure out which one's quicker mm. from a practical standpoint there's no difference right and if you really get down into the basics all uh automatic or switchblade is is another version of a pocket knife of which there are hundreds of
1: millions Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) talk about common,
1: yeah now do you ever get into the work of like even under knives in general like in Massachusetts i believe we have a law that you can't carry a knife longer than say 4 inches i might be making that up but there's some length of blade restriction right um in a lot of states and i believe in Massachusetts does is that some of the work you guys do as well as the the stiletto or switchblade stuff our,
2: our goal is no knife laws mm-hmm. no restrictions we've gotten rid of blade length restrictions uh, specific types of knives, like Bowie knives restrictions. None of it stands up to brewing. Mm-hmm. None of it. Um, we're 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 working now with litigation in states where we have far less opportunity to pick things legislative So okay, we'll go to court. Um, which is where we're at in Massachusetts. The states came up. Uh, the the court actually asked for Amicus brief, mm. um, and we were happy to oblige. And we are unique in that we are the experts when it comes to knife laws. We are the experts when it comes to interpreting this uh, the Second Amendment and knives. So
1: it makes sense that we
2: do this.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, the, the interesting thing about this case too, is that, um, the, the guy involved, uh, never Mr. Kinjura never even deployed the knife in a threatening manner. It just was something he had on his body. At the time he was arrested, correct? That's
2: correct. Um, one of our favorite re- repeals was in Ohio, where we ended up with a with a law that says a knife cannot be considered a dangerous weapon unless it's actually used to commit a crime. So if someone does something bad, but the knife never leaves their pocket, it becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And so that stopping people just because they have a knife doesn't happen because it's no longer legal because the knife isn't being used to commit a crime. Mm.
1: And this is exactly what ended up happening in the Caetano case, which is Um, we had a categorical ban on stun guns in the state of Massachusetts and the girl who used it to protect herself against a violent ex-boyfriend who had already walked through a restraining order, um, was charged with unlawful possession of a stun gun and punished by, I believe, jail time. And, and, uh the the irony is you know she should have been applauded for choosing to defend herself against this scumbag who's trying to kill her and instead we're going to make her the victim i mean the criminal by charging her with unlawful possession and that seems to be the exact situation but maybe a little bit different style uh because it sounds like it was some sort of lover's quarrel that was happening but again the, the knife stayed in the guy's pocket and didn't come out into the situation until they decided to arrest the guy for some sort of domestic dispute. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the the bottom line is they're they're arresting him and charging him with unlawful possession of a of a protected arm under the Constitution, which I think is is going to hopefully pave the way for this law to be thrown out in in Massachusetts. But we'll see.
2: We we. We certainly have hopes. You know, there 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 are so many ways the court can deal with this, but at least we've made sure that they have all the information they need to make the right decision. That doesn't mean they will, um, but they can't say that. They they can't have the excuse of well, we didn't know. <laughs> um, if they want to do something else, they can, but but we've made sure that there is no stone left unturned in terms of why they should make the right decision. Yeah, and
1: that's, I think
2: that's I, the job of an amicus
1: Yeah, and I believe that, um, if I'm not mistaken, that the um, this uh, this bill is <laughs> is. Um, not only uh, violates the constitution under the plain text, if you will, as a bearable arm, but uh wasn't the the guy involved in this case, wasn't the original charge dropped so that the only there were like two charges against him and I think the first one was dropped, so the only one that actually yeah, stood. This is it. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and we see this
2: happening throughout the country where you 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 have an add-on charge. Of knife possession or something like that, and, and that's one of the reasons that we get support from the other side of the aisle for our bills is because it's their people, yeah, that are too often end up with these add-on charges or thought because they have a pocket clip, and 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 that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know. In, in New York City, over seventy thousand people were prosecuted. Carrying a common pocket knife, crazy, not a gravity knife like they said it was common pocket knife. It was nine and a half years effort, two vetoes from the governor before he finally signed our bill when our case was up for consideration at the Supreme Court hmm. of the U.S.
1: Do you know how many um, states, and by the way. Uh, we're talking with Doug Ritter from KnifeRights.org. Make sure you check out his uh, his organization uh, after the Please. show. And I'll drop the link in the chat. But um, do you know, Doug, how many um, states still have a restriction on the carry of these type of knives?
2: So on, on carry, there's about 14. Um, and and some of those are are have length restrictions and stuff like that. Um, there there are only, depending on how you count, four or five states left that have a a total ban on carry of a or possession, I should say, of of a, of a switchblade.
1: And we're one of them. Look at that, <laughs> surprise, surprise! And the fact that you said it all started in New York didn't. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at Doesn't all. Doesn't
2: surprise me.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> New York, Massachusetts, California, Hawaii—the usual suspects, right? Um, so let me ask you this: Do you ever get into any of the other uh, arms besides, like, a, a knife specifically, like, say, nunchucks or shurikens or tonfas or you know, bow staffs or any of that? Not on purpose. Mm-hmm.
2: Occasionally, we find ourselves working to get a bill passed that ends up repealing a bunch of bans besides knives. uh we worked hard to get a bill passed in Texas to get rid of their ban on clubs and knuckles and that sort of stuff because it you know trench knives and other things were included in that. Mm-hmm. So when we're all done, Knuckles, Clubs, Tomahawk, all all of these are now legal in Texas. Nice. Now, Texas once had, despite its reputation, some of the worst knife laws in the country.
1: And some of the worst gun laws.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, Texas ain't nearly as Texas. <laughs> As everyone thinks Texas. <laughs> That's is.
1: true. I and it was recent modern history that you could actually carry a gun in Texas. it, mm-hmm. it there was no yeah. now everybody did, right? Or I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people did. Um, and it was understood that it was a it was a right, but it was you know, if they wanted to jam you up on it, they could. And uh, but I believe it was just in the last 15 years, if if I'm not mistaken, maybe even the last 10 years. That they got a uh the the um permitless carry and a uh
2: that's very, that's very recent. Yeah. Last couple of years.
1: Yeah, last couple. Um, but yeah, I think they were one of the states that had banned uh the carrying of guns concealed for a long time and even mm-hmm. open carry. But um what about I, I have a couple questions in the chat, if you don't mind. Uh one of them is. Uh, and this guy's asking seriously, uh, he's from Georgia, but the, what about a katana? Have you ever heard that you can legally carry a katana anywhere? Or is that, um, in Texas, perfectly legal, Yeah, Arizona,
2: perfectly legal. You know, there, there are a number of states and, and, and we actually have a app for that called legal blade. Um. That lists all the laws, but yeah, you can carry a katana in a lot of places. Uh, we had an incident in Phoenix recently. I'm, I'm in it from Arizona. Um, where a gentleman on the light rail used the katana to defend himself.
1: Hmm.
2: Wow. Perfectly legal.
1: Huh? Funny story about that. Um, my mom, when she was, uh. In college, she went to the Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City and she was dirt poor, so she lived in the projects. And uh, she was a part of this theatrical fencing team that used to do like dinners and she was the entertainment for like dinners, or you know, they did like congressional things. And you know, if you had some big business meeting, you could hire this group to come in and they would do theatrical fencing to music and it would tell a story and whatnot so they all had these sabers these fencing sabers that they would uh bring to school and and she traveled on the subway to the to and from school and so she was uh walking back to her the projects where she lived and uh she had it in the sheath and on her belt and she's walking around looking like peter pan with this you know a uh, big saber in her belt in New York City and a cop pulls up to her and goes, lady, what are you doing? You can't walk around with that thing. And she goes, here's my address. And he goes, you have a nice day. <laughs> so once she said where where she lives, he goes, good luck, lady. Go ahead and uh, you know knock yourself out. But uh, the fact that she was walking through the don't, subway.
2: Don't think she would get the same response today?
1: No, probably not. And the funniest thing is it was literally a whip. I mean, it wasn't like a sharp, even the tip was curled over but so that, you know, for protection of the people involved in the theatrical, they didn't have any like armor on that you'd have in a regular fencing match. So if you -hmm. you got hit with it, it was like getting swatted with a whip. And, you know, you could still probably lose an eye or something if you got poked, but um, she actually had a guy on her fire escape trying to break into her apartment and he was, they had the wire between the glass. And so he had shattered the glass and he was picking it off and setting it up on the windowsill, doing a real nice, neat job of, you know. And so she stuck the sword out the window and she just started smacking the guy silly with it. And uh, until he finally left and she saw a person walking by, looked up at her and she's like, call 911, this guy's trying to break in. And uh, so, or whatever it was call the police back then. I don't know if it was 911, but, Anyway, so my mom defended herself with a sword in New York City, probably when it was illegal to do so. So <laughs> There you have
2: it. That's a great story. Yeah,
1: it was. It was pretty. When when
2: when when we passed the got rid of the length restrictions in Texas, their biggest concern from the opposition was people would be able to now carry swords carry swords on the streets of Texas. Um, doesn't seem to be a big problem after it's passed. You know, just like all the fears that, that you hear about guns or anything else. Right. Evaporate once it's actually done. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, it never happens. There's no blood running in the street.
1: Right. It's the age old argument though. You know, you see it. We're up to 28 constitutional carry states or permanentless carry states. And, and they all I remember when Vermont was the only one and they were trying to expand that that there'd be blood running in the streets. There'll be people having shootouts on Main Street over a parking spot. You know, it never happened. Like you said, no. I mean, I
2: live in Arizona. We've had open carries been legal. Forever. I mean, since they did, practically. Mm-hmm. So somehow we don't have gunfights. Except in the movies. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they make some great for some great movies. Uh, We're gonna go to a quick break here, uh, Doug, uh, but stay tuned guys. We got a lot more coming up with Doug. I have some questions to ask him on the other side. Uh, I appreciate your time today. And uh, we will be right back after this short break. So don't go away. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas that's federal ammunition right here in Anoka Minnesota born in 1922 made in America and proud to be the best federal ammunition a century of innovation and we're only getting started call
2: I, it says this every time i think i don't
1: all right welcome I don't back think it's a good day Welcome back to Rapid Fire. We're here with Doug Ritter from kniferights.org. And we're having a fascinating conversation about uh, knife rights and uh, how it pertains to us here in Massachusetts. Um, Doug's getting a terrible echo on his line. So if you want to try hanging up and call him back, we can try that, see if it helps. But um,
2: it, it, it keeps happening. So. Okay, we'll deal
1: with it. We'll deal with it. All right. Uh, I don't hear it on our end, and uh, I haven't noticed anything on the comments from our listeners. So it um, sound a little muffled, but that's something we can work around. Um, but anyway, uh, before the break, um we were talking about, you know, rights as it as it pertains. And you've mentioned the Bowie knife a couple times, and I noticed uh, Judge Roger T. Benitez in the Southern District of California referenced the Bowie knife as a uh, dangerous weapon um, in his recent overturn of the state's um, assault weapons ban or magazine capacity ban. I can't remember which one it was. And he said, but the fact that it was in common and ordinary use at the time of the nation's founding, and it has not only uh, defensive uses, but offensive uses as well, mean it is a protected arm under the Constitution. And so, you you know, the the Bowie knife is something that is iconic in its, in the heritage, in the history of America. And yet places like Massachusetts, it would be definitely banned to carry that thing because the blade on them are like 12 inches long, right? Or something like that. And yet that has been, uh, referenced many times in this type of legislation or this type of litigation as a protected arm under the Constitution, and most recently by um, Justice Benitez in in California. So um, I think it's cool that that knives keep coming up in the in the historical analog of protected arms, even um, even though you know, states try to ban them or whatever. And you would think that they would be able to reference something like that whenever they're passing a law and say, oh, you know what? We really can't do this because we had this as, you know, a common and ordinary and, as you pointed out, required for somebody in the militia.
2: So it, may, it will probably come as a surprise to you and many of your listeners. But, but until we repealed it, it was illegal to carry a bowie knife in Texas. Wow.
1: In the state that it was I mean, invented in right?
2: Texas. <laughs> um, the, Judge Benitez um, is brilliant, and we appreciate that he mentioned knives, as you noted.
0: Um,
2: and the fact of the matter is that it doesn't matter how you. You address it, whether it's uh, categorically, jurisdictionally. However you do it, knives are common. And there's no length restrictions. There's no blade style restrictions. The, the, The first bands, if you will, were on Bowie knives. And they were found to be unconstitutional a hundred years ago
0: mm.
2: they recognized that it was unconstitutional and and those you know those mid 19th century bands early 19th century bands went away because even then they they got it
1: right yeah now there's two things two directions i want to take this conversation let me say this first and we'll see where it goes one is you see a lot of people tout gun control from european or australia or nations or um, that have successfully you know instituted some sort of gun control right london england has not only a outright ban on the ownership and possession of firearms but now knives in london because knife crime is rampant in london right so you take guns away from people and guess what it emboldens criminals to use everyday household items like a knife in order to subject people to their will and and to you know commit their evil acts against them and it 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 got to the point where the mayor has put these amnesty boxes around the city where you can drop a knife in it without any questions being asked so you don't get charged with a with possession of a knife in city limits obviously the point i'm trying to make is it's not working in london right the ban of arms is not working if if they have to have amnesty boxes in the city because and so many people are being stabbed there that it's not it's not working because people can't protect themselves correct
2: yeah i will take issue with the description knife crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use that in air quotes. We hate <laughs> yeah, we 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 hate the use of gun crime. It's, it's not knife crime, it's people committing crime with not. Right. And and even in England, we say the same thing we see here kitchen knives. Mm-hmm. Most crimes committed In the united states with knives or kitchen knives
1: yeah they're in every house we got bad kitchen (laughs) knife. it doesn't make sense and we all know that those people who truly understand the the issue of rights know that like the object the tool the thing that people use for evil is never really the the problem the problem is the fact that there's bad people on the streets that continually get let out and there's no punishment for their crime and or a slap on the wrist, so to speak. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't we just don't see people actually being held to accountable for what they do. Um, one of the things that um, I see could possibly happen here in Massachusetts, similar to the Caetano case, when the Supreme Court ruled that Massachusetts is in violation of the second amendment by banning uh stun guns um so massachusetts answer to that was okay let's change the definition of stun gun to be a firearm which makes no sense to anyone who's logical and now we can issue our license to carry or a firearms id in order to possess that stun gun Have you seen that happen in any states where they've conceded that they're banning a protected arm, but now they're gonna make them subject to some sort of licensing scheme?
2: No, because we really haven't run into that circumstance because most of our work previously has been legislation. So we won that battle. Mm -hmm. They had a ban. They got rid of the band, And we've never had an instance where they've come back and said, oh, that was a mistake. Now we want to ban them, I guess. Hmm. With litigation, maybe that could happen. That's a fight for another day. But I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. And I have my doubts that they can win them. You know, again when we have passed legislation, we've gotten broad bipartisan support. So if that were to happen if 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 the court says the ban is unconstitutional, they wanna license it, we're gonna fight them in the legislature. We'll see how it happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be, you know, the my state's answer to when they're told by the Supreme Court that they can't ban something, they're gonna say, okay, we'll concede that we can't ban it, but now we're going to regulate it through um, licensing, which makes absolutely no sense. They actually had for a while, um, you had to get a firearms ID card, a special version of it for the possession of pepper spray uh believe it or not so uh they didn't want you armed with anything uh you know they there's a ban on knuckles and nunchucks and any type of uh you know martial arts type of weapon and knives certain knives over a certain length you know was ridiculous not to mention the extreme regulation of firearms in the state which they all know their day is, days are numbered, um, but the bottom line is I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to bring knives under the purview of the license to carry scheme, licensing scheme here in the state. Not that I would be a proponent of it. I think the licensing scheme, as it's been written in Massachusetts, those days are numbered too based on the Bruin mandate that we've seen uh, come down the pipe you know a couple a year and a half ago or whatever but i think that um the bottom line is i wouldn't put it past the legislature to put them under the definition of firearm or something in the you know <laughs> in the upcoming uh legislative session if if they foresee losing this case uh how when when was this um case um filed if you will
2: so the the case started a while ago, pre-doom. Okay. Um, and and it's now worked its way through the court. Um, oral argument is scheduled for December fourth, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, that's it's it's you know it's a, people say you go to Las Vegas you don't gamble. It's like I'm in the business of gambling. <laughs> It's just bigger stakes. It's yeah. not money. It's it's about
1: right. Right. How do you uh, fund your projects, Doug, um, and so that you can afford to do this type of work?
2: Um, we have major sponsors from industry. We have a lot of support from the Second Amendment community. We have individual donors. We do uh, a big annual fundraiser. And, and, you know, if anybody wants to go to org and click on the donate button, it's a tax, it's click on the foundation, it's a tax deductible donation. We would love to have your help.
1: Mm. Um,
2: yeah. yeah, it's not an insignificant expense to do this.
1: Right. There's nothing that happens in the court systems that doesn't cost exorbitant amounts of money,
2: <laughs> you know. Yeah, even even when you have attorneys who are giving you a good rate because they believe what they're doing, Mm -hmm. or or like Jason Guida is serving as our local counsel, pro se, it still costs a small fortune.
1: Right.
2: Um, Our nine and a half year battle with New York City cost almost a million dollars.
1: Wow, incredible. So you guys have a membership organization as well, right? You can just donate individually, but yeah. you can also join.
2: Yeah, we have a we have a Knife Rights Inc., which is a five hundred one C four, and then we have the Knife Rights Foundation, which does funds litigation litigation, uh, which is a five hundred one C three, and donations to that are taxed there, so. tax deductible
1: deductible nice awesome um we'll definitely have to uh send some m- hopefully we can get some new members to knife rights uh and that would be great yeah absolutely um what about like the industry do you go around to any of the knife shows or the knife makers or are there any knife makers that are like members of your organization that you know fund you guys every year we we get
2: uh generous support from some of the the knife makers. Um, I do go to the knife shows to beg for knives that we use in our big annual Hustle knit steel fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Uh I'll be leaving tomorrow for Nashville for a show night show there. Hopefully we'll come home with a few thousand dollars worth of custom knives. Nice. Um, we also get a lot of support both financially and and product from the firearms side of things. Cause they recognize that we're a Second Amendment organization and every win we get is a win for the Second Amendment. So I think we had about thirty some thousand dollars worth of firearm prizes in our all from fundraiser this year
0: great
1: so that's awesome um it's funny there's two like custom knife makers that um i i guess friendly with uh i wouldn't say friends with because that is an extra level of uh friendship you know of of you know intimacy if you will but uh i've had one on the show um it's andrew arabito from half face blades out in california and he makes just absolutely gorgeous knives Uh, i don't know if you've ever seen any of his stuff or
2: i I recognize the name but i don't know that
1: yeah i've seen it just unbelievably beautiful work and uh we've become a dealer for them in our shop so we sell their uh you know some of their knives here and they make incredible hatchets too Um, really, really nice stuff. He was a Navy seal. And, uh, so after, you know, getting out of the teams, he was passionate about knives and firearms and hunting and whatnot. And so they're, they're just great tools.
2: There there are a lot of knife makers, both commercial and custom that got interested in knives during their service Mm -hmm. and, and became custom makers or started knife making businesses. You know, once once they got out, right, or, or oftentimes even before they get out.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, and he does just a phenomenal job. I mean, the he employs a lot of veterans and whatnot, and so I love I love everything about how his business is run and everything. But mainly, the end product is just one you're like, I want that. You know, they're really really nice. And then secondly, um, an icon in the industry used to live really close to me, uh Lucas Burnley, um, who mm-hmm. who's a famous designer for you know, Columbia River and and uh I believe uh not SOG but uh, what's the other one? Uh there's a there's a couple at Boker. I know he makes a lot of knives for Boker and, or designs a lot of knives for Boker. But anyway, he used to live down the road and I got to be friendly with him. Uh met him at a couple of
2: very talented
1: yeah couple of friends but what I like about one of the things he does every year is the uh, he does this drive for Christmas time for children to get you know Christmas presents or whatever the and he makes some special items that go out to auction and the amount of money these things fetch sometimes they're like knuckle-dusters or whatever and the detail that he puts into them is just off the charts incredible and uh I've seen some of his knuckle dusters go for like seven or eight thousand dollars and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But uh he made this one where you put your finger through it and it had these uh two skulls with sunglasses, and the sunglasses would go up or down, like you could put them up or you could put them down. It's just incredible detail. And uh so these,
2: these makers, these custom makers are incredible. Yeah. And and the and the prices they get for some of the we we had a, a fundraiser a number of years ago uh, where we had an engraved Bowie knife go for hundred and thirty thousand dollars.
1: Wow. Amazing.
2: Yeah. You know, was it a hundred and thirty thousand dollar knife? Maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's the cause is involved. Um, but I go to shows and see twenty and thirty thousand dollar knives all the time.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: It's amazing.
1: I would say that knife people take collecting and the nuance of collecting to another level more so than even gun people like gun people get into a vein of collecting and they get passionate about it and they get you know silly sometimes about it in my opinion like i know a guy who had collected m1 garands uh, i'm sorry m1 carbines and he had over five m m1 carbines and most of them are just like surplus, you know, but there's a little nuance and he could tell you all the nuance and all the differences. But I would say that knife people take that to another level. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying you're all crazy, but.
2: <laughs> um, well, there, there are some of us. <laughs> um, one of the things that I love about knives, whether you're talking production knives or custom knives, is the ingenuity involved is more evident than you see with firearms mm. you look at one firearm you look at another firearm unless you're unless you really understand what's happening inside okay put put some engraving on it it looks nicer but the ingenuity and the and the 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 intrinsic differences between knives is also very apparent, they mm. much simpler in terms of the mechanisms. And every year we have makers and, and production makers introducing new mechanisms mm. for opening, locking, whatever it is. Um, it's easy to get excited about that kind of
1: stuff yeah no it's very cool very it's extremely uh it's talent and uh you know ingenuity on full display in an artful pleasing to the eye way that you know just you can appreciate the beauty um one of those knives is the from half face blades that I saw that just struck me was um this project special project they did it was a uh, wakasashi short sword um, and it had raindrop damascus blade and the grip had um yusik, which is walrus bone in a certain spot i'll keep it family friendly mm-hmm. um and uh yusik it had koa wood from hawaii it had meteorite inlaid into the yusik with turquoise behind it so you could see like this uh piece of meteorite on both sides of the handle and it was reflected but in the turquoise behind it and it was all natural uh naturally occurring uh elements and minerals and product and it was just expertly crafted together and absolutely gorgeous and and they they don't even sell that kind of thing anymore because it would uh you know make it untouchable so they they started just selling chances to win it for 50 bucks a piece and that you could buy as many of those as you want but they limited it to how many would sell and so uh, at the end of the day the average person could ultimately have that if they just threw a chance in there or one or two or three and uh so it, it was pretty cool way of doing it and then they give back to the designer the maker and some charitable organization as a result of it so i thought it was fascinating how they well
2: did that, that that's not Unlike our ultimate seal, where you make a donation, you get a chance to win in our case, your choice of over hundred and seventy thousand dollars worth of prizes oh. it, it, you may make a twenty dollar donation and end up selecting a multi thousand dollar firearm or or knife mm.
1: that
2: that you would never be able to afford otherwise right
1: yeah, very cool,
2: yeah right. it's a great way to do things,
1: yeah that's excellent doug i want to give you plenty of time to tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about your work and also your organization how they can join uh go ahead and give us the give us all the stuff
2: everything can be found at kniferight.org it's really simple uh the legal blade app is there all the information on what we're doing it's all at
1: kniferights.org awesome uh when is the annual sale coming up
2: our annual fundraiser starts in march or april and runs through uh, the end of August.
1: okay great so i haven't missed (laughs) so i haven't missed out yet is what you're saying not yet all right great well i'm definitely going to be tuned into that um i'm really glad we had this time together and uh man, Godspeed on, I hope that uh, we have a big victory and maybe we can have you on to do a victory lap here in the Kanjura case. Um, That would be great and uh, would love to, I know my listeners will be uh, going over to your website and hopefully joining and supporting the work that you do. And I appreciate the fact that you're so passionate about the second amendment and uh, my hat's off to you for that.
2: Thank you very much. As uh, my grandmother would say, from your mouth to God's (laughs) ears.
1: Absolutely. All right. God bless, Doug. I really appreciate you. And uh, we'll do this again if you'd be so kind to give us another hour of your time sometime. Anytime. All right. Great. Thanks so much. All right, guys. There you have it. Um, That was Doug from kniferights.org. Be sure to go over to his organization and check it out because it's, you know, all that type of work is second amendment work and we have to band together. Let's give him the support that he deserves. Uh, let's, let's make it happen. And, uh, all right. And, uh, thank you guys for joining us on rapid fire. I appreciate everybody. Join us next week, um, for two, a Tuesday on Tuesday and for rapid fire on Wednesday, and we'll keep the conversation going. And, uh, I appreciate everybody listening. So, Remember, be a good, responsible gun owner in your community. Bring someone new to the range. And uh, let's keep kicking the ball up the hill each and every day. I appreciate you. We'll see you soon. God bless. I'm Toby Lear.